Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Bumps Along the Way. Before diving into the episode, I thought I'd spend a couple of minutes sharing a bit more of an update on where I'm at. I promise to be open and raw and vulnerable throughout this podcast, so that's what I'll spend a couple of minutes doing now. So in the last two weeks, I had been feeling quietly confident. I was pretty certain that we'd nailed the timing this month, I've been less stressed, and I was feeling cautiously optimistic. Over the weekend, my period was due, but it didn't come. Friday passed, Saturday passed, Sunday passed, even Monday passed. So of course I started getting really hopeful. And typically each month that this happens, I can't help but start planning. I start counting the months until we'd be due. I start thinking about the fact that, oh, it would be a February baby and it would be so sweet here in the winter with little woolen socks and beanies. And then I have to stop and remind myself to just wait it out and see what happens over the next few days. But that's really hard, right? And then every month I get this one night of insomnia. I cannot sleep for the life of me. I stare at the ceiling and count down the hours until it's time to wake up. And I really wonder if this happens to anybody else. I think it's hormonal. And I knew last night when this was happening that I I knew what was coming this morning. And I was right. My period started. I guess I should be used to this by now. I'm no stranger to this part of the loop of hope and heartbreak, the disappointment, the frustration, the grief that you go through, but it still gets me every time. And today, just to make matters that little bit worse, I opened up my cycle tracking app to log day one of my period like a good girl. And I received this pop-up, brightly colored, overexcited, congratulations, Anna, you've been a member for two years today. Here's a little something to help you celebrate. I thought, oh, thank you for the reminder that I'm still here, still trying to work out my cycle, still trying to work out my ovulation two years later. Felt a little bit like rubbing salt in the wound. But look, we keep going, we keep trying, and I keep staying grateful for all of the wonderful things that I do have in my life. And that includes all of you. 
as I mentioned last week, hearing from you, hearing your stories and connecting over this means the absolute world to me. This fertility journey can be fucking tough. I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I do feel grateful that at least we're not in it alone. I really do believe the more we can connect and share with each other, the better. So I hope we can continue to stay in touch and thank you for listening and reaching out. And now here is an episode of Bumps that I wish I'd had two years ago when this whole thing began. It's no secret that I went into trying for a baby pretty naive. I didn't know much about it. I didn't ask a lot of questions. I literally just assumed that you time things right, you give it a go and it will work. For some people that is definitely the case. For others, things get a little bit tough, a little bit confusing. And for me, when I miscarried back in January, my sister connected me to her friend, Dr. Sarah Farrell, and I'm incredibly grateful that she did. Sarah is one of those people who is extremely knowledgeable in her field of women's health. She's a GP, but she also has the gift of bedside manner or phone side manner in my case when you're on the other side of the world. Sarah also has a remarkable story herself from being diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome in her teenage years to having five pregnancies in five years, two of which sadly miscarried and experiencing complicated births. She's definitely someone who can relate to the bumpy road to parenthood. So that's what this episode is about. All the things I wish I knew about trying for a baby with women's health GP and mother, Dr. Sarah Farrell. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Anna. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. So nice to see you. And thank you for taking this time. I know you're extremely busy. You have your little ones, you have your job. So yeah, thanks for making time to speak. Um, My pleasure. Well, I thought for today, um, it would be really great to just get to know you a little bit better, know more about your background, about your history. Um, Understand, of course, that you're a GP with a particular interest in women's health and perinatal health. And yeah, you have, you know, obviously a passion for educating women um, to be more empowered in their health, which obviously I share that passion as well, hence the nature of this podcast. So yeah, I thought it could be nice just to hear a bit about about you just to get started. Yeah, sure. So I work as a GP uh, and with a special interest in women's health and sexual and reproductive health mainly. Um, currently I'm on maternity leave with, um, I just had my third baby, little baby girl Matilda, mm-hmm. um, but I will be getting back into work pretty soon and I've just started an Instagram page to really start this sort of process of getting back into educating and empowering women about um, about their health. And so thank you for letting me join you on this podcast because I think it's a fantastic um, idea to just reach as many people about this important thing about trying to conceive and the pathway to fertility and pregnancy. Oh. So, yeah, thank you. No, thank um, you too. So, <laughs> so, look, about me, um, I am a mum of three. I've had five pregnancies in five years, so a couple of miscarriages in there. I've had two preemie babies um, and then one full-term baby. So I've had a full gamut of experience personally with um, pregnancy and fertility. Um, I've also got polycystic ovary syndrome, so I'm personally aware of that. Um, And I have been practising with this all in mind um, over the last few years Um, and also with all my friends, helping them get through sort of trying to conceive and pregnancy um, and the early days of being a mum too so yeah that's that's my story wow there's so much in there that I want to ask you about but (laughs) 
So we'll start at the beginning. Um, your you mentioned that your passion is really educating women and making women feel empowered in their own health. I'm curious, what does that look like to you? What what does an empowered woman look like? I mean, what do they know compared to maybe what they are missing? Yeah, so look, as women, our health is really a little more complex when it comes to um, fertility, pregnancy. So just our reproductive and sexual health is something that gets missed a lot um, because it's not an illness, but it is something that we need to be aware of to optimise. So I'm really passionate about women knowing what's normal and how to optimise their general health and also having an idea about what their reproductive hopes and dreams are and how to be able to achieve that Um, because, as we know, our lives are a lot fuller than they used to be for women, which is amazing, but fertility and having a family is something that um, we do need to plan into our lives and so having the information and the education to be able to do that um, successfully and at the right time for us is really important. So with social media and the internet, there is so much information out there, which is amazing. Compared to like a decade ago, women have so much more information and support through one another, through these um, like podcasts and through social media. But there is still a way to go. Um, women need to talk more openly with each other about what they're going through, um, to be able to support each other and to know what's normal and what's not normal and where to go for help when things aren't going the way they should. So, mm. yeah, that, that's what I am passionate about. And podcasts like this are really a good way of helping that. So thanks. Oh, I totally agree. And one of the things that really took me by surprise when we began this process, you know, um, there is so much I didn't know. That's how we came in touch is because yeah. finally opened up to my sister after I think half a year of going through this by myself and not talking to anyone about it, not sharing, not, you know, sort of sneaking away from parties because I wasn't drinking two-week wait and knowing what was going on and just, yeah, going through all of that head noise on my own. And I completely agree with you. If I compare myself now, how I am to this time a year ago or this time nine, ten months ago, I feel more empowered because I am having more conversations like this and I'm learning so much. And yeah, I just hope this podcast can also help get a bit of that out into the world as well. Cause it is, um, yeah, the trying to conceive part for many of us is challenging. Actually, it's not just looking at your partner and jumping in bed and falling pregnant. So (laughs) look, it sounds like so much fun, hey, (laughs) (laughs) but as we know, this trying to conceive journey um, is long. It can be long and that is normal as well. So without it actually being a problem, it's still hard um, for a lot of people. And so even if you're not someone that's struggling with infertility or um, recurrent pregnancy loss, even if you are just struggling with the, the actual trying to conceive part, even if there is a really happy story for you one month, three months, six months down the track within the normal time frame, mm-hmm. it still is hard. Um, and so knowing that people are finding it hard and it's okay to find it hard, knowing what is normal um, and also what not to listen to, all the noise that's out there. There's so much misinformation that makes it a really complicated journey for people because it's quite simple, really. (laughs) Um, And while it doesn't seem that simple because we can't click our fingers and make it happen, we don't need to listen to all the noise out there about, you know, supplements and special positions and, you know, all those things that we hear about. We just need some basic information, make sure that you're healthy, that your partner's healthy, 
that all the medical boxes have been ticked in preconception care, um, which is something really important that I'm sure we'll we'll have a chat about, um, so that when you do try to conceive, you know that you're doing all the right things and you just have to keep getting back in those sheets. So I'd, I'd be curious to tap into that a bit more, what's, what's normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you think about what's normal, what exactly are you looking at? Are you looking at the cycle? Are you looking at... I mean, I don't want to put words in your yeah. mouth. What are you looking no. at? Look, when, when we're talking about normal, there is so many aspects of a woman and a man uh, man's health that we need to consider. But generally um, what we talk about when we're talking about like, the average woman falling pregnant, we're talking about a woman that has a cycle between 21 and 35 days that only varies by three days every cycle, um, that has no unusual irregular bleeding, um, no other symptoms associated with their period that might seem like endometriosis or polycystic ovary syndrome, um, and also no family history of early menopause, and that's an important thing. But all of these things will get discussed and checked with, with your GP in the preconception care or a consult before you start trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. So generally it's important to know what's normal for you, so have a good idea of what your cycle is like, um, optimise your own health, so making sure that you're eating well, like a balanced diet, getting your whole grains, your five and two veg and fruit um, and lots of good fats, exercising regularly, drinking within reason um, and no recreational drugs and smoking. And that's all you really need to do in terms of getting yourself ready. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's on the GP in terms of a few tests to do also educating you about how to fall pregnant and what's normal. So getting expectations lined up um, and giving you a bit of information about where to go um, and when to go for help if you haven't fallen pregnant. Okay. So if I use myself as an example, I use a cycle tracking app. I think a lot of women use this. I only ever used to use it to check, okay, when is my period coming? And I'd fully ignore the blue dots that indicate ovulation. Ovulation. Genuinely didn't even know what they were for, just ignored them. So I was extremely yep. naive. My cycle averages, 29 days previous cycle length. I think that would classify as normal. That's uh, normal, yep. Period length, four days. Normal? Perfect, yep. But normal. cycle length variation, 29 to 37 days. Is that yeah, so look, as irregular or? It is tricky when we're using these cycle tracking apps. Um, so things like that do need to be discussed with a GP in terms of what your history is because it's a little bit more nuanced than what the you know how long each one is mm-hmm. because every once in a while we may have a cycle that is irregularly long and yeah. that will throw out our averages so mm-hmm. looking at it from like a long-term way but if we're generally having a cycle that's 29 days sometimes 30 sometimes 27 sometimes 31 that's all considered normal Okay. If we are having cycles that go, say, 21 and then a 35 and then when we went 55 one day, we're back to 29 for a few cycles and we have another long one, that's what we would consider irregular okay. and that needs discussing with, with your GP. Yeah, I have to say, again, if I use myself an example, which I, I will do throughout this podcast just to yeah, put a bit fine. of colour into it, um, 37, 31, 35, 32, 35, 28, but then I get pregnant and that's when it starts to really throw itself out from 
37 to 29 to 21. So I can imagine maybe there's a an impact of a, a pregnancy and a miscarriage that is probably happening for it me. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It does. So after we fall pregnant and miscarry, sadly, and I'm so sorry you went through that. Yeah. Anna, thank you. Um, it does have an impact on our cycle. We do expect a regular cycle to return quite quickly. Um, but again, it's, it's tricky when it comes to predicting these things, especially without knowing all the other symptoms that come come to t- come into it. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about irregular cycles, we are looking for polycystic ovary syndrome. That's kind of where we where we look at, and a few other hormonal um, hormonal irregularities can cause cycle variation. So it is always worth checking in um, to have those tests done if we're yeah. thinking that we do have what's diagnosed as an irregular cycle as mm. opposed to a regular cycle. Okay. Um, yeah. Polycystic ovaries is something that I definitely want to dive into as well. Yeah. No, probably I think five women in my life who have been told you have polycystic ovaries, you are infertile. Gosh, yes. I And look, I've heard that too. So many patients come into my room saying I can't fall pregnant. Yeah. I've got polycystic ovaries. And my gosh, it's it's a huge minefield. So God, I'd need 10 podcast episodes <laughs> on this <laughs> to, to do it justice. Yeah. But firstly, women can have polycystic ovaries. On ultrasound scan, we can see an ovary that has multiple cysts in it and that is diagnosed as polycystic ovaries and it can be completely normal. That mm. woman does not necessarily have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. So those women may have the meta- the hormonal metabolic um, syndrome, which is associated with these polycystic ovaries. And that is where the difficulty in falling pregnant lies. So just having multiple cysts on your ovaries doesn't have any impact on your fertility unless you have been diagnosed with blood tests and other ways. There's a, there's a criteria called Rotterdam criteria. Mm. Um, it's how we diagnose someone with polycystic ovary syndrome. And essentially the problem for these women with falling pregnant is that their cycle is irregular. So we don't know when they are ovulating each month and they don't know when they're ovulating each month. So getting that timed intercourse, right? Gosh, it's so hard to do when you actually know when you're ovulating, let alone just picking a random time of the month that you might um, be popping out that egg. There are other factors um, that will impact their ability to fall and stay pregnant, but mainly it's getting that egg and sperm to meet and getting that timing right. Yeah. Um, so myself, my history is I was diagnosed quite young with polycystic ovarian syndrome, had a scan for, I had an IUD put in, I think, and had a scan and they said, oh, look, hey, you've got multiple cysts in your ovaries. When I spoke to my wonderful GP, she said, oh, look, let's do some bloods. And turns out, yep, you do have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I automatically said, oh, my gosh, well, I want so many kids. And she very wisely and sticks to me to this day said to me, please be careful. My daughter has polycystic ovarian syndrome and she didn't use contraception and fell pregnant the next month and had an unplanned pregnancy in her early 20s. So if you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome, you can absolutely fall pregnant. It does take some women a longer time and may need um, assisted reproductive technologies. Mm -hmm. However, it's not always the case. And so (laughs) contraception mainly is the first (laughs) thing until you're ready to try and conceive. And then it's about chatting to your GP um, as long as they're, you know, well-versed in um, women's health 
mm-hmm. about how best to get yourself ready with polycystic ovarian syndrome for a pregnancy and how to help regulate your cycle. And if it's not working, get help early so mm-hmm. that we're not banging our head against a wall trying to fall pregnant with an irregular cycle. Yeah, it's such an important message because I it it, it really um, I feel so frustrated for these people who are walking through life believing they're infertile when in fact oh, such a heavy word to be carrying. You know, it's a huge word. It's a huge word, and it's a huge word in your twenties. It's a huge word yeah. at any stage, but it's it's not. You can't use that word, no. <laughs> in my opinion. Um, until you have failed many years of IVF, you cannot say that you're infertile. So that's also interesting is, you know, we we are now, this is our 10th month of consistent trying, but we also had four months um, a couple of years ago before we got engaged, we started trying. And then we stopped yeah. because we didn't want to be um, pregnant at our wedding. So obviously all of the Aussies flying over. I just, I wanted to be. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the day. And your sister did. (laughs) Exactly. Not just regarding alcohol, but just also, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be. You don't want to be in the first trimester. No, I want to be in the first trimester. No. So then we stopped. So I guess if I calculate it all up, it's, it's 14 months, but it's not 14 consistent months. And I've been reading a lot about what classifies you as infertile. And they are saying yeah. it is 12 months um, of consistently trying without falling pregnant. I get very confused. We did fall pregnant, but I was yeah. for one week pregnant. I don't know. How do you? Oh, gosh, it's so hard. Now, the definitions of infertility or when we say that someone um, needs to seek further assistance to fall pregnant is, as a general rule, under 35, 12 months of trying without success. And over 35, it's six months. Now, the tricky part of that is that actually any woman under 40, statistically, they say it's going to take one year for 80% of people to fall pregnant and then 10% more. So 90% will be pregnant by the end of that second year. So that extra 10%, we're possibly saying they're infertile, but they're actually not. They could fall naturally pregnant. But time is money, unfortunately, when it comes to these things because we, we want to have multiple children, we have other things that we want to do in life. And so that's why we say at one year, seek help, <clears throat> have the test done to see if there is any factors. Um, you know, there's 40% female factors, 40% male factors that can impact fertility. So have those tests done, see if there actually is an issue that needs help, um, all the while still trying. And often people fall pregnant if they were going to, they're going to fall pregnant then. Um, or we have a wonderful fertility specialist that can help with that situation. So the thing with the consecutive months of trying is if you have a pregnancy in that, it does reset that time. So we say that you have fallen pregnant within the expected time frame. It's so cruel to have an early miscarriage, especially when you're first trying to fall pregnant, because it just brings up so many what-ifs and stresses and emotions but in terms of diagnosing infertility um, we say you know continue trying for 12 months after that miscarriage in saying that that's what you know the data says I treat the patient the person that's sitting in front of me and how they're going emotionally what their future plans are for their family and and sometimes it is getting those tests done earlier um, 
sometimes it's just saying that it's normal and it's okay and it may take a while and trying to focus on the fact that we have fallen pregnant um, and that's a great sign. Yes. Staying pregnant, though, is another kettle of fish <laughs> and that is, you know, gosh, another thing to throw into this whole mix yeah. one time of trying to get um, that baby at the end of the, the, the tunnel. Yeah, I, I think you're so right. It It kind of breaks your heart because we talked about this before. You know, I'm 31. I turned 32 in October. I know that I'm still very young, but you do think about how many years do I have left? And I don't want to try another year because what if in that year I'm not successful and then I need to go down the IVF path and then that takes multiple months. Okay, then I'm 33. So when do I have time for my second or my third? You know, we yeah. we can't help but plan. And I get given the advice. Hey? I get given the advice a lot, you know, don't plan the timing. You can't control it. But it is, yeah, that's probably the biggest um thing that I do find myself thinking about is my age. And I wanted to ask you, not as a doom and gloom question and not to install in anxiety in anybody, but what impact does reaching your 30s have on fertility? Like when do things start to maybe decline? Yeah. So unfortunately, <laughs> the best time to fall pregnant is when we're in our like early to mid-20s. That's when our fertility is highest, our chance at a healthy um, pregnancy, continuing pregnancy is the highest, but that's not the best time for us to be starting no. our families as women these days. Mm-hmm. And so there is a bit of a disconnect in terms of our biological readiness and our social readiness. So the whole idea about age and fertility, um, God, it's such a loud voice out there. And, you know, in the medical world, it is really important to take that into consideration. But there was a lot of focus on the, this age being 35 35, everything falls off a cliff, your fertility's gone, it's all doom and gloom. But it's actually not the case. So we do know that peak fertility is around 25, on early 20s, it's pretty good in our late 20s, early 30s, and yet it does start to decline. Um, but it doesn't fall off fall off a cliff. And there are so many factors to in fertility or to fertility, should I say, that do need to be taken into consideration. So every patient is different in terms of what their likelihood of falling pregnant is and it helps with a you know to look at a few of the stats in the sense that in your 20s late 20s I think it's every cycle you've got a 25 26 percent chance of falling pregnant I think don't quote me but it's around there and then when you get to your 30s it's down to 22 percent so yes there's a drop and look four or five percent it's not insignificant but you've mm. still got a one in five chance of falling pregnant um every cycle yeah. As we get to 35, it does get down to about one in eight. And when we're getting towards our 40s, it's one in 10 and really quite rapidly declines after that. Okay. Um, and then we do have to take into consideration, you know, your health and your ability to continue a healthy pregnancy because yeah. as our eggs age, the ability to conceive is harder, but also um, the health of that pregnancy. So you get increased chromosomal abnormalities um, and with that increased miscarriage rates. But in your early 30s, when most people are falling pregnant, we need to stay positive. It's definitely doable, absolutely doable. Mm. Um, and good news stories, you know, it's not doom and gloom. Yeah. Um, definitely not. And so I will actually try and find this article that I read the other day, which is actually going through the stats. And they were actually a really long time ago that we got all those stats about 35. 
um, being this age cutoff. Um, and that's where we call it geriatric pregnancies and those sorts of things from 35 mm -hmm. onwards. But the data that was used for those is actually quite old. Okay. And so there is a bit of a rethink saying that 35 might not be as terrible as we thought it was. Um, I'll find it for you and I'll send it to you. Yes, please. I would love to read yeah. that. Yeah. And and what, I guess, tips would you give someone in their 30s or perhaps mid-30s to maybe optimise their health and chances of conceiving? Yeah, so I get this question all the time, like what can I do? You know, yeah. what should I take? What shouldn't I do? So really, if you are, you know, if you're well, if you've got all your medical conditions or if you don't have any, great, um, but well under control, if you are eating a balanced, healthy diet, making sure you get all your recommended daily intakes, you know, those little percentages that we see on the back of boxes, just making sure we've got all the nutrients that we need in our body. We're exercising, not crazy, but just mm -hmm. every day, 20 minutes, um, 30 minutes. And if we're staying mentally well, so checking in to see if we're going okay and reaching out if we're not, that's all we really need to be doing. Mm. Plus folate. I'll just oh. add in there. <laughs> Plus I've folate. I've been taking folic acid for, I think, two years now. <laughs> yep. Yep. Look, join the party. I've been taking it. <laughs> oh, good. It's just a part of my life. <laughs> I should have bought shares in that company, hey? Yeah. You can imagine. But yes. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> It's great advice, but it's equally also a bit frustrating when you are so doing the right things and you're like, but I have friends who are partying and they are, you know, having these really heavy lifestyles and then just falling pregnant, you know. And falling pregnant. It's a double-edged sword, yeah. It is. It's so, look, it's cruel. It's fertility and infertility is cruel. Um, I do another job. So as well as my general practice where I help people fall pregnant, I do another job where I look after women who have accidentally fallen pregnant. Oh, and wow. the stories that I hear through that job, I have women that have been trying IVF for years and in their 40s have an accidental pregnancy or, you know, desperate to have that second but never got that second and then 10 years later got that second when they decided that they were just going to be happy with their one. Um, so really, it really complicated little minefield. But mm. if you stay talking to everyone, stay positive, yeah. there is a happy the ending for almost all women out there it's just that the journey might be quite hard yeah it's a, it's a lovely message it really is particularly when you're in it and I I I know at some point I look back on this and it'll be the blink of an eye you know at some yeah. point I'll look back and think oh that was a, a part of my life um maybe it then starts to even feel short at some point but right now when you're in the the thick of it it's it's the question marks, right? So in the Netherlands, they're a little bit less flexible. You really have to be trying for a year before you can seek help yeah. and before you can seek any testing. You either lie or you wait. <laughs> it's like not very nice options. Um, so, you know, we are there. Like we're almost at the point where we can start getting some tests done for me, which is really exciting because yeah. I would love to know if there's just something small or are there some maybe polycystic ovaries that I don't know about or something like this. But um, I guess at the moment, it's just all the question marks that makes it very frustrating. And you have this very small chance, which I didn't know about. I didn't know it was only, I think you mentioned between 21 and 25% each cycle. You have yeah. to hit the right moment. The ovulation window is how long? 20 Four oh. to six hours. Yeah, like look at yeah, look your egg, that little pesky egg that pops out once a month. 
um, survives for 12 to 24 hours. Um, So it's only there. That's like it's there for the taking for those hours and those hours only. So look, the cycle is around 700 hours, right? (laughs) Your your average 28-day cycle, but there's 12 hours there that, you know, 12 to 24 that it's going to happen in. Um, We do have to remember that sperm can last for five days. Yeah. So that does open up our fertile window to five to six days if we're being generous. Um, And that's where this education comes in, right? So that is one of the biggest things that I um, hear is that I had no idea, I didn't know that, that Mm -hmm. you had to have sex before you ovulated to even have a good chance of ovulating or that you can ovulate on different days of the month. You know, it's not day 14 of a 28-day cycle that you ovulate. Everyone is different. Um, So that is where education, especially checking with your GP um, about your cycle, Mm. how long your cycle is, when your symptoms of ovulation, what symptoms of ovulation are for you. Um, yeah. and, and knowing that will help you do proper timed intercourse or as you <laughs> beautifully put it once, um, frequency of intimacy, yeah. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> but you can't expect to fall pregnant if you're not having sex or if the egg and the sperm aren't mating. Yeah. So even if they do mate, you've only got a one in, you know, a one in five chance of it being a successful mating, right? So we've yeah. got to get we've got to get the egg and sperm there at the same time. So to give it a chance. Such a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing. It's so yeah. amazing. Um, and I love this part of medicine because it is so wonderful and so amazing, mm-hmm. um, but so emotionally charged. Yeah, very. But with okay, so with this, for anybody that is listening and you're thinking, okay, actually, I'm again a good example because I've just ended yeah. my own period two days ago. So. Yeah. We're saying, okay, sperm can live in your body for five days. So ideally, I probably wait another few days before starting trying again because I'm like two or three days out of my period, right? So, yeah. So, your day, so we call the first day of bleeding an actual flow because this is the other tricky part. Spotting doesn't count, it's flow. So, day one of your cycle is the day you get actual flow. Yep. And that's considered day one. So you might bleed, as you said, your cycle for, you know, your period length is four days. So that's day four, then you're up to probably day seven. Mm-hmm. Then if you've got a 29-day cycle, generally you are going to be ovulating somewhere around day 14, day 15. Mm-hmm. But again, everyone's different. So you can ovulate as early as day 10, um, ovulate as late as, gosh, on a 29-day cycle, you know, there's the stats out there and I don't have them with me, but it is everyone's very individual of when they're ovulating. So ideally, in an ideal world, before you start trying to conceive, you track your cycle and you have a look, you keep an eye out during that sort of mid-period, week two to week three, and see if you can notice any of those symptoms of ovulation and mark them down and see if you can get a bit of a general idea when that day happens for you. Mm -hmm. I think we've spoken about before about ovulation tests. Um, yeah. So there are tests that are out there that can also help. So tracking your own symptoms, um, sort of cervical mucus, basal body, body temperature, symptoms like you know, ovulation pain, the position and the firmness of your cervix, all sorts of things that you can test on yourself. But you can also test your hormones with these um, luteinizing hormone ovulation strips. All of that information is really good at telling you when that ovulation happens. But by that stage, we've already missed four or five days of fertile, like fertile window. 
Yeah. So having that in, that information before we're trying to conceive, or you know, or while we're in the process of it, and knowing then to try start trying five days before then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. The I didn't know about the ovulation sticks. I think until. Yeah, well, we had our four months, then we had our break, and then I got another, I think, four or five months in um, last year before I found out about those. And we spoke about women education and something that was so indicative to me um, that there is a lack of education in this topic is the cover photo of this podcast, I'm holding a stick. And the amount of people that thought I was holding a positive pregnancy test. I saw the comments. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I thought it too. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm educated and I thought it too. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yay. But, right. um, yeah. Yeah. And I know. It was an ovulation stick. And that to me was quite telling also. I would have been exactly the same. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. Um, There's something that we do use for some people. Um, we do have to be careful who we recommend them to because for people with polycystic ovary syndrome, you know, sorry to harp on about that, but oh. they, um, they think, positive they can get false rises um and so unfortunately then it's not giving you the information you need Mm -hmm. and then you're jumping back in the sheets (laughs) at the wrong time and as we know that sex when trying to conceive starts out to be really fun but gets pretty tiresome after a while unfortunately and the romance is gone um Mm -hmm. and it becomes a bit of a chore and it's not always the healthiest thing for a couple um you know for their emotional well-being to be yeah having regularly on a clock or on a we have to as opposed to we want to I fully agree I started finding it quite micromanaged and I think when you are in this cycle it's a very quick cycle I had a conversation a couple of days ago a couple of weeks ago with a perinatal mental health therapist um yeah cycle of kind of hope to anticipation to disappointment to hope to anticipation it's really fast and having tools like ovulation sticks in place to help you feel like you can control an element could be helpful for some people but for me I found myself getting so in my head like I'm peeing on an ovulation stick for almost two weeks just waiting 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 to see if it's going up and then I'm waiting a couple of weeks and then I'm peeing on pregnancy sticks, like pregnancy tests. Yeah, it's too much. It's too it's much for some sticks. people. And, and yeah. yeah, there's too many sticks. There's too much money. There's too much everything. Gosh. Yeah. Um, much so, mental yeah. yeah. It is. It's a lot. And um, because we know that it can take naturally 12 months to fall pregnant, to do that for 12 months, my gosh, it's, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a recipe for disaster, mental health disaster. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And it is literally Mental Health Awareness Month right now. And I'm focusing yeah. so much on this because of just where I'm at and, you know, how long this is taking. And I've literally thrown the sticks in the bin because I just want to relax a bit and try and yeah. enjoy it again, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And look, don't be too hard on yourself. That's the other side of it is that, you know, we are so... I worry about women being so caught up with trying not to be too caught up in the fact that they need to fall pregnant and being okay with their mental health and being okay with the process. And we're our own worst enemies when it comes to it. So while there's that advice, relax and it'll happen. Yeah. yeah. There's an element of that. My favourite. Yeah. Go on a holiday, have a drink, you'll be fine. Mm. Um, there's also a little, you know, relax, it'll happen. Educate yourself so you've got the best chance of it happening for you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but being kind to yourself for all the emotions that come up through that process because there's a lot of them and for some people it's fine for others it's not and whatever those emotions are that's okay yeah I fully agree I fully agree just validate them and give them a place and give them time because yeah um, bottling them up doesn't suit anybody I want to do one quick fire round with you. Go for it. Can't imagine I'm very good at it. Go. (laughs) First thing that comes to mind, um, most common question you get asked. How do I fall pregnant? (laughs) Help me fall pregnant. How long Um, will it take me? How long will it take me? I can imagine. What is the weirdest question you've ever been asked? Oh, gosh. God, I could hop back to my ED days working at St Vincent's in Darlinghurst. That was more what I saw. But um, I have been asked to help fall pregnant with twins, which just to me as a mum of, you know, three under five just sounds outrageous. As a doctor, you know, twin pregnancies aren't aren't, um, aren't the easiest. So, yeah, whoever thinks they're wanting to get over and done with with one pregnancy of twins, <laughs> think again. Efficiency. <laughs> yeah. And what is the biggest thing that took you personally by surprise with this process? You are educated in this field, yet you also have had five pregnancies in five years. Was there anything that really, yeah, shocked you? Yeah, so I was shocked with how little I knew um, about what being pregnant was like and what trying to conceive was like. I considered myself, you know, quite well read in the area. It was something I was passionate about. but. I fell pregnant before most of my friends did. I, we were one of the, you know, the first in our time. So I didn't have any friends to talk about it with, but that really took me by surprise. And mm-hmm. as a doctor, I'm a much, much better doctor um, for these women, <laughs> for women trying to conceive or pregnant now that I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say things like, oh, you know, got morning sickness, try a bit of ginger tea, it'll be, you know, it'll work a charm. Now to, oh, it's the worst, take all the drugs, <laughs> take all the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think experience, with all of this stuff does help um, yeah, shape the way you practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. I can imagine. It's so different to reading in a book to going through it yourself. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. My final question is what are really the big don'ts? And this is another like quick fire round. If I say to you, okay, I'm coming into ovulation or maybe I'm in the two-week wait, um, coffee. Go for it. As long as it's two cups a day. Okay. No more. Alcohol. No. If you have a chance at being pregnant, no alcohol, which is no. so cruel because it could take up to a year and that's, you know, half a year without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And as a wine aficionado or lover, should I say, <laughs> um, it's, it's tough, but that is the medical advice. Okay. Going in the bath and sauna. Bath, yes. Sauna, no, in that two-week wait. The mm-hmm. data on this is a little bit sketchy, but anything that can increase your basal body temperature, so increase your core temperature, we advise against as there is some old data about um, increasing miscarriage rates. Okay. So that's sauna, Bikram yoga, um, you know, ultra marathons, if that's your thing. <laughs> anything mm-hmm. that keeps your body temperature up for a long period of time, yeah. that's a no-no, but a hot shower, absolutely fine. Okay. I texted you a couple of weeks ago about getting a tattoo. <laughs> Have you got one yet? I didn't because, well, I didn't. The answer was probably not, right? Probably probably not. So, the answer for that, um, I don't think there's any data on this, (laughs) but my general rule of thumb in that two week wait is 
don't do anything that you personally would go, if you didn't fall pregnant or if you did and then miscarried, that you go, if I only hadn't done this. Don't give yourself that opportunity to blame yourself because it's never your fault. It's not your fault that you're not falling pregnant. It's definitely not your fault if you miscarry. Mm. But so often people carry guilt attached to it about something that they've done. Yeah. So things like um, tattoo, I put it down to infection risk. I don't know much about tattoos, unfortunately. But if there's anything that we could think that, oh, if only I hadn't done that, then it's just best to avoid. Yeah, that's actually. You should get your tattoo at some stage. Sorry, (laughs) your (laughs) mum. I've already got one, so it won't be a surprise. Oh, good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) My little uh, imperfect circle. Oh, beautiful. Oh, I love Um, that. Yeah, well, life's not perfect, right? So, um, okay, I think that is um, all I have time for today. I'm so sorry because I could literally speak to you for hours. I found this so interesting and informative and, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to sharing this and putting it out in the world. Um, I love your Instagram account. Could you tell us how can people follow you for all of the information that you're sharing? What is your handle? Do you want me to oh, check? My handle. So, no, it is. Oh, you might have to check, actually. I don't know if there's dots in there or not. But it's <laughs> at Dr. Sarah Farrell. Um, look, it's very new and I am a bit of a social media noob. And I had all sorts of grand plans to be putting out multiple posts a week, but reality is life with three little rat bags has meant that I just pop things up every once in a while. But it's a little way of getting some information out there um, to women that aren't my patients. Yeah. just to empower them, um, educate them, and hope that it will help. Yeah, it does. I love your content. You do have dots. It's Farrell. I will put it in thank the show notes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope we can love to do another more deep dive with you. A lot of the advice you gave me around the time of my miscarriage, re- it it turned a corner for me. It was so helpful. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I, it's an area I feel needs yeah. more airtime for women. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would love to help you. Thank you. Love to chat about it. All these things we wish we knew around the trying to conceive, I've loved speaking about them with you. And thank you for also bringing in your own experiences as well. Pleasure. So good to see you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.